0: Thank you, Gordon very much. I think it 's always a good thing before you dive into a chapter of this length to read the whole of it before you preach on the parts of it and uh, we are going to be uh, spending a few weeks in chapter eight, uh, a chapter that 's familiar to most, if not all of you, and trust god 's blessing upon the reading and teaching and preaching of his word. We're all fascinated with the science that preserves, aren't we? I don't even know if it's true, but in my elementary mind, I've always been fascinated with the idea that Walt Disney could actually be preserved cryogenically and be put underneath the magic kingdom, waiting for someday. I don't know why they would do that, if they do that. Um, But can you do that? I I've read a lot, that sounds really, really weird. I've read a lot on mummification. Have you? I know, I'm weird. I told you I was weird. Not long ago, I was reading an archaeological magazine and it put in detail and described in detail uh, mummification and the preserving of a body after death. Um, I don't know what's wrong with me, I just do that. so apparently since 1966, at 65 years old, when Disney died, his body's still around and we know about uh, the mummies in the um, British History Museum. If you've not been there, if you ever go to London, it's a great place to visit and you can actually uh, stand within inches of uh, mummies that are a couple millennia old or more um, are you are you interested by in fiction of time travel? No. Okay. Pronounce my weirdness for a third time this morning. <laughs> Alexandra Bracken uh, has a book series that's begun. It's just called Passenger, and uh, the author highlights the story of a 17-year-old music prodigy named Etta Spencer and Etta is sent back centuries of time to a time that's not her own to preserve a time machine from falling into the wrong hands. And so life can be preserved, right? There's been many a movie put out, many a book that's been written on time travel for the purpose of preserving life. Um, Maybe they're still looking for the fountain of youth out there somewhere, I don't know. Man's interested in the preservation of Dead bodies, for some reason, and they're interested in the preservation of life, uh, but man's never been able to approach one particular subject. No man ever has, and no one ever will be able to omnipotently and comprehensively cover the preservation of life for eternity, right? Preservation of life for eternity, and that's really what Romans 8 teaches, It teaches us how God omnipotently and comprehensively preserves eternal life for his people, both while we're living and in life eternal in his presence. It is about the preservation of life. Now, I'm confident that Romans chapter eight, for many of us, even as uh, Gordon read it earlier, um, your hearts were warned by multiple verses, phrases, Uh, that you've memorized, that you've applied to your life during any one of life's difficulties or agonies. Romans 8 is often the text that most of us go to when life hurts the most to find out God's reassuring promises of how he preserves our lives in the here and now. But but really this text ultimately is how does God in Jesus Christ preserve not just life in the here and now, but eternal life? How does he procure eternal life for his people? Maybe it would be helpful at this juncture, just to remind you of our brief outline of the book of Romans up until this point as given to us by Alva J. McLean. In chapter one, verses 18, after the brief introduction, through chapter three and verse 20, Paul outlines for us that the world is lost. The world is lost. The heathen, the moralist, and the religionist, they're all lost. All are under the wrath of God. We got to the good news in chapter three, verse 21 through chapter five. Do you remember that? And that wonderful study that we did on justification or salvation. Condemnation, but God offers then salvation. How does God save sinners? We answered that question over a course of weeks. He saves sinners in Jesus Christ. He justifies them. He sanctifies them. Chapter six and seven, remember? All about church growth or spiritual growth, right? What does it say? Chapter six, how to grow. Chapter seven, how not to grow, right? How to grow, we're dead to sin, right? So as we absorb Bible doctrine, we consider it in our hearts, we're able to then do and live that doctrine. That's how we are to actively grow. Chapter Seven is about passive growth, how we we, we want to avoid growth. The, The law can't save us, so the law can't grow us. We're saved by grace, and we're grown by grace. So we've looked at salvation, we've looked at sanctification, and chapter eight concludes what I believe to be the whole first portion, from chapters one through eight. Chapter eight concludes this great story of salvation, how God offers it, how God gives it, how he procures it through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust it'll be a tremendous journey together of encouragement uh, through chapter eight, to be sure. Albert J. McLean says of this chapter, in a real sense, he says, the eighth chapter of Romans is the conclusion, the culmination of the Apostle Paul's treatise on salvation. Mu in his commentary states that chapter 8 is the inter-sanctuary within the cathedral of Christian faith. He goes on to say, it sets before us some of the most wonderful blessings we enjoy as believers being free from God's condemnation, indwelt by God's own spirit. Adopted into his family. Destined for resurrection glory. And full of hope because of God's love for us. And because of the promise to bring good to us in every circumstance of life. His good. In every circumstance of life. We know God justifies in Jesus Christ. We know he sanctifies in Jesus Christ. And now we know that he secures or preserves in Jesus Christ. We haven't sung a hymn here for a long time that I used to love to sing as a kid. I don't even know if it's in our hymn book. I wouldn't want you to pick it up and look. Maybe you can look later, all right? Remember that hymn, Safe Am I? Right. Safe am I, safe am I in the hollow of his hand, sheltered or, sheltered or with his love forevermore. No ill can harm me. No foe, alarm me, for he keeps me both day and night. Safe am I, safe am I in the hollow of his hand. That simple little hymn uh, um, is the culmination of all that is Romans 8. All that is Romans chapter 8. It reminds me, Romans chapter 8 reminds me of John 10, 27 to 29. All these texts that we're going to reference, you can write in the margin of your Bibles or if you're taking notes, that I think underpin the authority of what Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 8. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That's a great reassurance text we go to often, isn't it? God didn't save you to keep yourself. God saved you to keep you by his grace. It's all by his grace all by his omnipotent ability. Remember John 14, one to six? He had recently told his disciples about his departure. The disciples were anxious. How did he settle their hearts? Don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Remember, am I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, there'll be a day where I will come back again and receive you unto myself, and there you will be with me forever. In his high priestly prayer, in John 17, verses one to 12. By the way, if you haven't figured out by now, the apostle whom Jesus loved, loved to talk about security in his Savior in the most simple ways. And that's why we go to his writings often, to simply reassure our hearts. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, verses 1 to 12, it's a little bit longer of a text, but listen with me if you want to turn there and follow along, you can. If you learn better by listening and reading, John chapter 17. I want to read this text and just remind our hearts, really, of what the Apostle Paul is about to restate in Romans chapter 8 over the next few weeks. John chapter 17, beginning... I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them, I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me and I guarded them and not one of them perished. But the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be what? Fulfilled. Remember John 20, verse 30 and 31. He writes at the end of his gospel, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and in believing, you may have life in whose name? In his name. His name is whose name? It's the Father's name. right? And our Father's eternal. So this life is eternal. Remember in John's first letter, in 1 John chapter 5, He says, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know that you have what kind of life? Eternal life. Do you remember Philippians 1, 6? We'll jump back to the Apostle Paul who also writes, obviously, Romans 8. He that hath begun a work in you will perform it till when? To the day of Jesus Christ. This is the development of life eternal within us, the preservation of it. Chapter 8, as comprehensively as an eyewitness of the person of Jesus Christ who is under the influence of inspiration of the Holy Spirit, outlines for us the complete and saturating way a believer is safely kept by God for all time and eternity. That's what it is. Paul is an eyewitness of the person of Jesus Christ. Paul is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and Paul gives us an outline here that describes for us in detail the complete and saturating way a believer is kept safely by God in Christ Jesus for all time and eternity. Paul, along with other writers in scripture, detail for us that the God of eternity saves by his own nature. We are made in his image and in Christ we receive his eternal nature as Christ is indeed the word of God that existed before the foundation of the world. And as we receive that holy, divine, eternal nature in Jesus Christ who is God in human flesh, the believer is compelled by grace then to live unto God and God likeness. Anyone who receives Jesus Christ by grace is compelled by the same grace to gradually pursue God's character. God preserves that ability in chapter 8, and we'll see that. As a matter of fact, if you're truly a child of God, he will ensure your growth by grace even if you struggle in your walk because he has preserved you for eternity in Jesus Christ. Gordon read a few minutes ago, verse 1 that we all love, right? What does it say? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who sin. Is that what it says? For those who mess up, for those who falter, for those who struggle. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ. This chapter does not remind us that the Lord preserves for us a perfect life practically in this life. But we are preserved in the perfect life of Jesus Christ for time and eternity. And that grace that saves us, right, is that grace that grows us and ensures that it will compel us to be conformed to the image of Christ ever so slightly every day we live as we walk in that grace. That's exciting, isn't it? God can't help himself but preserve even spiritual growth. And he procures it by the help of his spirit, as we'll see. Let's highlight here just a few aspects of chapter eight that demonstrate God's ability to preserve us for all of eternity. Now, as I read chapter eight again multiple times, there is one essential thing that just really um, influenced my soul, right? Um, you probably saw it as Gordon read, you've probably already highlighted, for those of you that have been in the Lord a little bit longer, as you've read Romans eight many, many times, right? So, you cannot help re- reading Romans eight without seeing the Godhead in this chapter. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. 70, some 75 plus times a mention, either by personal pronoun or direct address, a member of the Godhead is mentioned. Now think about that in relationship to the total meaning of chapter eight, preservation. Who preserves? Who secures? Omnipotence secures God the Father. Is God the Father? Is Jesus Christ God? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. Yes. So do they all have the same attributes since they're all God? Yes. So when we read through Romans chapter eight and each part that each divine person plays, they play it omnipotently so. What they save, they secure. That's all omnipotence by its nature can do. Do we understand that? Infinite omnipotence can only do what infinite omnipotence can do. What God has started, he will perform. He will. That's so exciting. And he'll do whatever, he'll throw all of that omnipotent ability, not just positional truth, in declaring us righteous in Jesus Christ, but he's going to throw him his whole self behind the practical ability that he gives us to grow according to grace. 75 plus times. Go back in your own time if you believe in marking your Bible and just highlight all those times. Personal pronoun or direct address. It's phenomenal. And a great encouragement to us. What you'll find out is 21 times the Greek word pneuma, which is the English word spirit, is used. And 19 of those 21 times, it's in direct reference to the Holy Spirit of God. Let's just talk about, just for a moment, what the Holy Spirit does to secure and to preserve our life in Christ practically and eternally. Since he is God... He mediates for us the blessings of new life in Christ. The spirit of God regenerates. He takes us, the Bible says, from spiritual death to spiritual life in Jesus Christ. We'll find out also in chapter eight that he is the God who actually gives new life we'll find out that he is God who guarantees, hang on with me, he guarantees our moral way of living. (coughs) What about, Pastor, that time in my life when I stepped away in immorality or in sinful living for a year or two? What did God's grace do for you if you're a believer? What did he do for you? His grace was became operational to you through divine discipline, right? Whom the Lord loves, Hebrews 12, he chastens. The Holy Spirit of God guarantees, are you with me? He guarantees the development of moral character in the believer. Grace can't help itself but do that. And we'll see that here in the middle part of chapter eight, more towards the beginning, actually. The Holy Spirit is God, and he gives and offers adoption. He offers us a divine family. It's really interesting here. We'll find out probably in two to three weeks uh, that the idea of adoption here uh, this Greek word as it would have been understood by the Roman here in the first century simply means this, you're not adopted as a baby, you're adopted as an adult. <laughs> so in other words, all the privileges that are given to adulthood right, are ours spiritually in Jesus Christ, we're adopted as mature people, we're all grown up in Christ positionally. Therefore, we have all the blessings of heaven positionally. God can't help himself, but not just save us by grace, but lather us with grace, layer us with grace to grow us unto his likeness. The Holy Spirit of God is the guarantor of resurrection life for us. resurrected body, we'll see that. The Holy Spirit of God is he who persuades the believer to do the will of God. Remember that section on intercession? He's an interceder for us. The Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for us in in Romans 8. We'll study that in a few weeks. But the Holy Spirit of God intercedes for us. And what do we find out here as we look back at verse number 26? Look with me there. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He there, I believe, is God, who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Holy Spirit is because he, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to what? According to the will of God. Now, if you're, by, if you're in the NASB, the words um, um, the will of are in italics. Those were added. What he's literally saying here, he intercedes for the saints according to God. I think it's a proper English translation here for sure, but what does the Holy Spirit do? A lot of us have always thought that this context, and I'm not saying that it doesn't in part for sure. I don't think it was, you've misapplied it or mislived it. But the primary purpose for the Spirit's intercession here is that when we're struggling to know and to do the Bible, and we really are groaning in our hearts as to why we aren't doing it or can't understand how to do it, the Spirit of God is in the face of the Father, and he's interceding with groanings, our groanings, right? We can't speak because we can't understand, but the Spirit of God wants us to understand God, the will of God, the Word of God, and how to do it. So even when you're at that moment, even as a new believer, maybe you've been saved for days or weeks or a few months, and you're at this guttural pain of not knowing where to go next or what to do next, the Spirit of God even preserves, secures for you the ability to do that which you do not know yet how to do through his intercession before the Father. In other words, as a believer, you've got to try really hard to be a screw-up. By the time you're done with chapter eight, if you walk away, you've worked hard to walk away. And it should be no amazement to you why the the God of heaven comes back and gives you a little spanking to get back in fellowship. That spanking is only after a long time, possibly, of you walking away. For me, it happens to be within nanoseconds. (laughs) Whenever, Whenever I step away, it's like smack. All right, all right, all right, I get it, I get it. This is just what the Spirit of God does in Romans chapter eight. We haven't even gotten to God the Father. And look at, look, at, look, at, look at how the Holy Spirit bookends chapter eight. Look at verse one, and then look with me to verse 39. Let's talk about the second person of the Godhead. That's just the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are, what? In Christ. How does he finish the book? Verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Two times, once at the beginning and once at the end, that's not by mistake, obviously. He's bookending for us the reality of positional truth. This is just what God does for us in Jesus Christ. He preserves us, he secures us, The Godhead omnipotently underpins the whole of life and life eternal for the believer, and he gladly does so. Can I remind you of Paul's writings that are somewhat similar to this in Ephesians chapter 1 as we wrap up this morning? He says in verse 3 Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In heavenly places. In Christ, everything that Christ enjoyed in eternity past, in him we now enjoy, all of it. But the language gets more specific, doesn't it? And the more specific it gets, it's harder for us to grasp, but it's actually really simple to understand. That sounds really weird, We'll we'll keep going. All right, I'll explain. Just as he chose us in him when... Before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us under the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. My friends, I will tell you, and I will forever say this, anyone who is intellectually honest will tell you that the doctrine of election and predestination is a mystery. There are two words that this pulpit will never use in a context of intentionality. I'll use them here by way of illustration, but not intention. You will never hear from this pulpit the word Calvinist or Arminian. The Bible doesn't talk about either one. Anyone that thinks in their finite, depraved but saved by grace mind that you can fully wrap your head around election and predestination, you're intellectually dishonest. These are mysteries of God. All I can tell you is that where you are today in Jesus Christ, God had it together before he said, let there be light. That's all I can tell you. And the text says it was according to the kind compassion of his will. It was an act of compassion. But he did it in eternity past. What God has decreed, he cannot undecree. He decreed to create. He decreed to permit the fall. He decreed to save He decreed an eternal state to come. He decreed all of this in eternity. He cannot help himself but do what he's decreed. Praise God. So are you secure? Are you preserved in Jesus Christ according to all these things that we've just begun to scratch the surface? The answer is absolutely you are. You are preserved in Christ Hang on with me, you're preserved unto Christ likeness. You won't help yourself. You can't help yourself, but by grace, grow to become more holy. That's just what believers do, even if they need a little nudging by the Lord through discipline once in a while. Okay. Well, at this juncture, I should close by giving you a feeble attempt at a whole outline for this book, and then we have a really sweet baptism to enjoy today, All right? I'm going to give you the outline to this book, four major sections, and we'll begin to divide into the, dive into the first section next week. Now, those of you that know that I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer at best, I'm a dull butter knife, right? And I have to be warmed up even to make it through melted butter, right? So what I've done is I've taken two of the points, the first and the last, directly from the wording of the text. So I hope that wasn't a lack of intellectualism for you. It's about as best as my brain can do. All right? In this text, we're free from a lot of things, and we're free unto a lot of things. Right? But in that freedom, there's some things that we'll never face. So I've divided this whole chapter up according to things that we'll not face anymore or not be pressed to face. All right? Number one, verse one to four: No condemnation. No condemnation right there in verse one, but within the paragraph verses one to four. Verses five to 17, no contention. I'm gonna explain that next week. I really believe contention needs to be understood within within light of those few verses. No contention. Verses 18 to 30, no prevention. No prevention, I'll explain that. No condemnation verses one to four, no compulsion, verses five to seventeen, no prevention, verses eighteen to thirty, and verses thirty-one to thirty-nine, no separation. No separation. Okay. God preserves us in Jesus Christ. We will not face condemnation. We will not face living a life under the influence of the law or sin. We will not face that, according to the text. We'll understand prevention, we'll understand no separation here in the weeks ahead. I just want you to leave with this brief overview of Romans chapter eight, with the understanding that you are omnipotently preserved in Jesus Christ. And in that preservation, God by his grace procures in your life, develops in your life, the ability to become more godlike every day. And if you're struggling, if you're hurting, it may not be because of sin in your life. It may be a lack of understanding of doctrine. And I hope this text uh, brings you back to sing that hymn, Safe Am I. <laughs> right. But if there is uh, a sinful vice that's woven itself into the fabric of your life, I'm confident that in Christ Jesus, with the help of the Spirit, you'll find your way out of that web and know how to walk again. All right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this delightful perusal of this chapter and your good gift of preservation by your own nature, by your own person. We ask your wisdom as we march through its words and phrases in the next few weeks that this body of believers would be tremendously helped and reassured, encouraged, brought to great effervescing joy over the reality of what we see here. In Christ's name we pray, amen.